Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The New Testament lesson for today is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. This can be found on page 1,168 of your Pew Bible. These powerful declarations about the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all of heaven and earth are testimony to the nature and identity of our Lord. A reading from Colossians chapter 1, beginning with the 15th verse. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which he has proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. I took a really fun trip with my brother Kyle to the Grand Canyon a few years back. There's a picture here you can see. Um, It was incredible, breathtaking. Has anyone here been to the Grand Canyon before? Yeah, you get it, yeah. yeah, You gotta be there to see it. Um, And so that was incredible. But one thing that I didn't expect that really blew me away, and I should have seen this coming, wasn't how amazing the Grand Canyon was during the day, and it was, but how amazing it was during the night. I went out, at, it was around midnight. Um, my brother Kyle was fast asleep. He was not as adventurous as me that day. I take pride in that. Um, but, you know, I wandered out of the room that I was in, and I walked towards the cliff's edge. And, you know, like the rocks were, co- like, cool now because the sun had set. And I laid down, and I looked up at the night sky, and I was blown away. I did not take this picture. can't take credit for it. But it's to give you an idea of what I was seeing. And, and I mean, look at it. It's a sky so big and the stars so numerous. And, and as I was taking it all in, I couldn't believe it. And at the risk of sounding like, you know, some kind of hippie, this is, this is what I was feeling. It felt like I was in space, just kind of like looking out at the universe. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but that's what I was experiencing. And the whole time, I was laying there for 30 minutes, and I found myself 
grappling with, with this tension of two things. One was the huge vastness of the universe that I found myself in. And then comparing that with how small I was, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction times a million, times a million, times a million, compared to that huge and vast universe. And you know, sometimes I think we can view God this way too. We see God, he's so big, he's so divine, he's so powerful, and then there's us, right? Helplessly human. When we think about God, he feels like he's out there. He's bigger than we could ever relate to. And that we could never really connect with him on a personal level. And so the question we're going to wrestle with today is, is God this, this cosmic force in the universe? Or is he so much more? Is he a God who's personal, who is pursuing us relentlessly? A reminder to everybody, we are in a sermon series titled The King. And for the past four weeks, it's been really cool. We've been diving into scripture and we're highlighting different passages that call out our God as above or, or over different types of things. And some of those have included that God is over nature. God is over sin. God is over sickness. And he's over our needs. And this morning, I'm going to conclude this sermon series with a sermon that we're calling Jesus Over All. Doesn't get much bigger than that. Jesus Over All. So let's see what God's word has to say about who Jesus is and how Jesus being above all has major implications for our lives. In today's passage, the Apostle Paul, he's writing a letter to the Colossian church. And Paul, he would go to these different locations. He would, he would tell them about the good news about Jesus and what he's done for all of us. He'd leave, go to another location, and he'd write letters to check in and to encourage them in their faith. Now, we are not the Colossian church, but the cool thing about Scripture is that it wasn't only written during a specific time and context, but God also wrote this for us. And he used Paul in this case. And what Paul does to encourage the Colossian church in their faith and how he encourages us this morning I love how he does this. At the beginning of his letter, he pauses, he slows down, and he paints this sweeping, cosmic image of the scope and scale of Jesus' influence over all creation. It's kind of like he took everybody from the Colossian church to the Grand Canyon, laid out, you know, got your blanket, got comfortable, and just looked up at the night sky the glory of God, beholding all the amazing aspects about our Jesus who's overall. So in this passage, we're going to ask ourselves an important question. As we look up at the night sky, we see this massive universe, but this morning I want us to look up and behold our big and glorious God and ask ourselves, is that God also more? Is he deeply personal and is he pursuing us? Or is he just this cosmic force out in the universe? So let's dive in. We're in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Now, I want to do something that's a little silly. Remember when you were a kid and you used your imagination? We're going to try that again. Are you all willing to use your imagination with me? Okay, so we're in a sanctuary right now. But what I want to do is take us back to that Grand Canyon scene that I was talking about earlier. And so use your imagination, right? I know the kids are dismissed. This is usually their thing. Use your imagination. 
You can hear the, the, the brush wisping in the wind, the crickets are chirping. And as you lay down on the cool rock, since the sun is set, you look up. And I want us to behold the glory of God. I'm going to read four verses from this book of Colossians. And they're so big and so vast that this is the only way we could really approach this part of this passage. So now that we're all set, I'm going to just go ahead and read Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Wow. That's, that's a lot, right? Where do we even begin? It's like we're looking up at the night sky, and there's just everywhere you look, there's something cool to, to capture and behold of God's glory. I want to take us to one consola- constellation to keep, keep the analogy going. It says in, in, in this uh, passage here that all things were created by God and for God. It's just one little piece of this huge God that we worship. You know what's funny? In our culture today, we hear the exact opposite, that this world was created by us and it's for us. But then when we look at verse 16, it says the opposite. Paul says, all things were created by God, not by us, and for God, not for us. So that's just one section of this glorious God that we're observing. And I want to draw our attention to another corner of God's glory and it says in his word that he's preeminent. And that word is, is derived from this Greek, uh, this Greek root word, protos. Um, protos, it's a word you hear in like prototype and, and words like that. It means first, beginning, chief. And our Jesus, he's the protos, the first before all things. Now, when we think about Jesus, we usually think about his earthly ministry, Right? We think about his time here on earth, or we think about his death, resurrection, and ascension, and how he's sitting at the right hand of God. But when's the last time you considered Jesus' existence before all of that? Well, it says here that Jesus is preeminent, the protost, first before all things. He has been with the Heavenly Father before the dawn of time. And we'll, we'll turn our gaze to one more aspect of our glorious God. As we see in verse 17, it says, and in him, all things hold together. I really believe that someone needs to hear that this morning. You may feel like whatever situation you're in, it hinges completely on you. You might feel that weight of, of some challenge or burden that you're carrying. Well, in verse 17, it tells us that Jesus, not us, holds all things together. So whatever box we've put God in, because we all kind of do that, right, to try and wrap our heads around this big and glorious God, that, that box is too small, right? We need to take him out of there because our God is a big and glorious God. 
Now, it may feel like this really big God who's perfectly holy and mighty, and we just talked about, he's like the comparable to the vastness of the universe. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels as though a God like that is inaccessible, right? He's almost untouchable or, or elusive. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Friends, our God isn't just this huge God of the cosmos, but he is a personal God who is constantly pursuing each one of us out of love. But I wonder why we feel that way sometimes. We feel like God's way up there and we could never possibly relate to him. Well, Paul actually calls out the very reason that that exists. Why a, there's this tragic barrier that, that blocks us from experiencing a relationship with this big God who's also oh so personal. So let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 and see what Paul has to say. And I want you to notice something. First two words that we're going to read is, and you which guess what that means? Paul is taking us from beholding our glorious God bigger than the universe, and now he's shifting the focus towards, uh uh-oh, us. What's going to happen? All right, verse 21. And you, there it is, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. It's not the best review of each one of us, but moving on. Verse 22, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So those first two words, and you, Paul's taking us from this huge and glorious God, and now he's shifting the focus to each one of us, and he's presenting us with a relationship, a relationship with this really big God, and it forces us to ask the question, what do we bring to the equation? What do we bring to the table in this relationship with God. And I'm going to use a phrase during this sermon. I think what Paul's saying is that what we bring to the table is that we're hopelessly human. What do you think I mean by that? Hopelessly human. You know, I see some smirks because the reality is we are hopelessly human, right? We have a, we have a sin problem. Since the beginning of creation, we were in unity with God. But as Genesis tells us when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, sin entered into the world, entered into our spiritual DNA. And it's caused each one of us to be separated from this big God who's also so personal and loves us so much. So what do we bring to the table? We bring the fact that we're hopelessly human. And I want to reread verse 21 because Paul calls out two fruits of our condition as hopelessly human. Verse 21, I'm going to read it again. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. As people who are hopelessly human, we bring two things to the table in this relationship with this big God. Hostility and alienation. Isn't that encouraging? (laughs) Not really, but Paul's calling it out, and we should talk about it. What's hostility? Well, in terms of our relationship with God, If you've been following Jesus for some time, you know what I'm talking about. And maybe if you aren't, you may may feel this or sense this too. But it's almost like your soul is so resistant to the idea of bowing down to a higher power. That you you cling on to your own uh, sovereignty and power and want to be the king or queen of your own story. That's the hostility. That's the fruit of being a hopeless human in our relationship with God. 
And you know what? This isn't just something, this hostility that we experience in our relationship with God. We also see it with one another. I mean, I don't even need to say anything at this point, but think about the geopolitical situation. If you look at the news, if you look at our own communities and and families, there's hostility, there's brokenness, there's divisiveness and bitterness, a fruit of us being hopelessly human. But it's not just hostility. It's also a word that Paul uses, alienation. What does he mean by that? Well, simply put, it's sin separates us from God. Going back to the story of Genesis, Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. Does anyone remember what happens next after sin enters into that relationship? Are they allowed to stay in the presence of God in the garden? No, they're, they're banished. Because our big and glorious God is a God of perfection. He's holy in every way. And he would go against his character to associate with anything other than perfect holiness. And so it's a tragedy. Because we are hopelessly human, It leaves us alienated and hostile to God and one another. And so how does God respond to that? Well, friends, I have good news, and I've said this before. Our God isn't just a big God, bigger than the universe itself, that holds all things together, but he's also so personal. He is so personal, and he pursues each one of us. I want to watch, I want you to watch as we see this big God kneel down into our mess and make it his own. Look with me again at verse 22. He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I I don't want us to miss this. Our God is a huge and big God, but he's also so personal And he pursues each one of us with his love, with his grace, with his truth, with his presence, again and again and again. He will never give up on you. Our God is a God of reconciliation. And how does he reconcile himself to us? Well, guess what he did? He he kneeled down and he came into our mess. He became flesh. He became a, a hopeless human. Jesus Christ. And he walked this earth with our our own boundaries and and human limitations. And he sacrificed his life for each one of us. And as a result, it says in verse 20, he made peace by the blood of the cross. So now through this reconciliation, something happens for those who place their faith in this big God who's also so personal And his heart is to reconcile each one of us with our heavenly father. Something changes. We're never the same. In fact, we're given a new identity. We're given a new status before God. And it's two powerful words that we find in Paul's passage this morning. It's two powerful words and an and in between. So three, two, whatever. But two powerful words. And those words are this. Holy and blameless holy and blameless. If there's anything that you remember from this this sermon this morning to cut through the noise of whatever you're going through, Jesus Christ loves you so much that he continuously pursued you. He's so big and yet so personal. He came here to save you, to reconcile you back to himself because he loves you. And guess what? 
you, through faith in that faithful God, are made holy and blameless in his sight. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you don't feel holy and blameless, right? Why is that? Well, maybe you're kind of sitting there saying, this promise sounds really nice. You know, I'm sitting next to some people I, I know, I don't know. They seem really Christian-y. You know, they're probably worthy of this promise. Um, or maybe you're thinking, you know, Craig, I, I'm one version of myself at church, and then I'm a completely different person when I leave here. This holy and blameless promise could never be for me. But, but Paul has a word for us. As people who are reconciled to the Father, made holy and blameless, yet still don't feel that way. We still mess up, right? We still sin. Paul has a word for us this morning, and it's what I want us to hold on to as we leave this place in just a few moments. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. Continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. How do we respond to this incredible gift that we've been given from this huge God who makes himself personal and reconciles us to himself? We remain steadfast. What does it mean to remain steadfast? The way I think of it is, it's like you're holding on to something, relentlessly, gripping it tight and never letting go. Can everyone do that with me? Can you just take your hand out and and hold on tight? That's what it means to be relentless. Now, and you put your put your hand down. Um, don't let go of Jesus, but you can you know let go of your grip. Um, Paul gives us this commandment to remain steadfast. Now, what does it actually look like to remain steadfast? Well, for us hopeless humans, we're really bad at remaining steadfast. Um, who here has tried to go on a diet before? Yeah, you're already laughing because you, yeah, you get it. Um, you know, I'm, I, I went on a diet recently. I had shoulder surgery in February, gained a few pounds, and I went on a diet. And, you know, it's going well, but I know that eventually I'm going to cave in, right, to that bag of chips above the fridge that's just calling me out every time I go for the healthy food, right? We, we eventually lose our inspiration. We fail to remain steadfast. So here's why God is so amazing. He's really big and yet so personal. He redeems us and reconciles us. He calls us holy and blameless. And guess what his assignment is for each one of us? To remain steadfast in what? In Paul's word, it says, the hope of the gospel. So what is the hope of the gospel? What are we, what are we holding on to and gripping tightly and not letting go of? Well, the hope of the gospel is simply this, that we fail in remaining steadfast, but Jesus succeeded. Um, Max, if you could put up the picture of the flint rock. Um, This is flint. It's a very hard, um, dark rock, and it's used figuratively in the Bible to express hardness and unwavering determination. And the prophet Isaiah, in the the book of Isaiah, he he talks about how he trusts in the Lord, and he says to each one of us and, and the readers at the time, I will set my face like flint, knowing he will not put me to shame. And then later on, Luke describes Jesus doing the exact same thing for us, showing an unwavering steadfastness to his mission 
of reconciliation. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 says this. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Steadfastness. The steadfastness of Jesus. What was waiting for Jesus in Jerusalem? Does anyone know? If you can think, think about it. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. He was, he was heading towards Jerusalem, his face set on Jerusalem. And what was awaiting him was rest, torture, and agonizing death. And with trusting God the Father to help and defend him before his enemies, what did Jesus do? He set off firming, firmly and unflinchingly committed to finish his mission. He had set his face like flint. Friends, we are not steadfast. I hate to break it to you if you haven't figured it out already. But Jesus, like a flint rock, was and always will be steadfast and faithful to the end. In our striving to remain steadfast in the hope of the gospel, we can take comfort knowing that we're grabbing on to the one who is steadfast. So this morning, I just want us to Behold how amazing. This is why I love God. He's so big. We can worship him. We're gonna worship him for eternity and it'll never get old because he's so big like the universe and the stars that we can never get sick of beholding our amazing God. But that God isn't just out there. He's so close and personal and he's relentlessly pursuing you. He's reconciled each one of us to himself through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. He loves you. He's pursuing you. And guess what? Through his finished work, each one of us are made holy and blameless before him. So as we go out this morning, just hold on. Not in your ability to remain holy and blameless. Hold on to the hope of the gospel. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.